Third John, if you'll open your Bibles to Third John. Where we are in Third John is a continuation of the study that we began in the book of Hebrews. We went from Hebrews to the book of James, and then from James to 1 Peter, and then 2 Peter, and then 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And unless I'm mistaken, we started in the book of Hebrews in 2013 or so. So for a long time now, we've been going through the same study of what we've coming to really understand. And I hope you're beginning to really understand the value of this term, and that is the reality epistles. And this goes to really to what um, Laura was just saying as she was becoming aware um, soon, soon, we're going to uh, depart and be with Christ. Some of us are probably going to depart through what we would consider death's door. You know, we shall sleep. We, some of us will be asleep when the trumpet sounds. I have a sense, and I could be wrong, I have a strong sense that before my grandchildren would leave this earth through that door, I believe the trumpet's going to sound and Christ is going to come back to the earth. And uh, Now, I, I might be wrong. I think every generation, because of the imminent return of Christ as a, as a reality, every generation has thought, any day now, any day now. And I look around and I say, if not any day now, when? That kind of a thing. It seems like it ought to be soon. Um, but again, generation after generation has thought this. And, here, and yet, again, it's really important that you understand, and we're taught this in Peter, through Peter, I should say, the Apostle Peter, the Holy Spirit tells us through him that uh, God is not willing that any should perish. God is not dragging his feet. He's not delaying. Souls are still receiving Christ. You know, when you woke up today and the trumpet didn't sound, do you know what that means? Someone's going to receive Christ. Isn't that encouraging? Someone's going to receive. Maybe someone you love that you've been praying for, maybe today is the day of salvation. Uh, the trumpet will sound. There will come a time when that, when, when we're going to, this is going to come an end. He's going to come and meet it. We'll meet him in the air and he'll take the church out. Now, John was making reference in Isaiah this morning that Jacob's trouble will begin at that point. But somewhere during Jacob's trouble, they will see him whom they have pierced. Israel will recognize that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, and they will repent as a nation they will repent, and they will receive Christ. And then Israel, I truly believe, and I could be wrong, but it seems that the promise in the Old Testament is that Israel will be what she was meant to be, and she will be the greatest uh, group of missionaries that the planet has ever seen. And they will go forth uh, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ as they were meant to do from the very beginning. But now they will be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now they will be new creatures because they will receive Christ. Now, we have this opportunity right now, and many of us are involved in this. You know, ministries like First Bible uh, from Milford, Ohio, going around and, and, and making sure that people can have a Bible in their own language. There are so many missionaries reaching out all over the world. And again, you do not have to leave the Hampton Roads area to be a missionary. You can be a, an active servant of God reaching people right here in the 757. There's such tremendous need for this where we live. So when we, when we get to 3 John, it is a continuation of what we see in the book of Hebrews. And what we see in the book of Hebrews is this. This is so important. Please hear this. Maybe somebody today will hear this for the first time. Everything in the Old Testament is a picture of Christ. Everything. Moses is a picture or type of Christ. 
Aaron is a picture or type of Christ. The tabernacle is a picture or type of Christ. The priesthood is a picture or type of Christ. The offerings are a picture or type of Christ. David is a picture or type of Christ. Isaiah is a picture or type of Christ. But Christ is it. He's the reality. He's everything. He is God with us. And this we see in the book of Hebrews, Christ is better, not better as in um, a measure better, um, you know, we can pick a lot of different things. I don't know why, but, uh, um, you know, there's a, there's a, we, butter, butter comes to my mind for some reason. And I don't know why. Um, you can get butter, you can get margarine, you can get, I believe it's not butter, butter, you know, a lot of different things. But I would say that butter is better. Personally, I would say that regular butter that's even salted is a little bit better than unsalted butter. Now, see, that's all a matter of preference and degree. But Jesus is not better like that. Nothing else compares to him. Nothing else compares to Jesus. Everything else was something that God used to show us. I want you to see this because it will help you to understand who I am and my love for you. But Jesus is that love. He doesn't just love us. God is love. And it's important as we understand, as we get into, the, uh, into 3 John, and we're not going to spend probably any time, I know this is kind of a pattern in our, in our study of different books, is that we start studying a book and we don't actually start studying the book. And we're not going to break that pattern this time because I think context matters so much. Now, we just finished 2 John, but what I want you to do is to turn back a couple more pages to 1 John. Turn back to 1 John. Now, you say, so is 1 John important to 3 John? And I believe it's very important. I believe in 1 John, where God is showing us the promise of a life walking in love and in light, that's the promise of 1 John, a daily life in fellowship with God. You can think about it that way. The phrase that I use is that God promises you a life, a lifetime, a daily life, a continual, ongoing process of your everyday life, a life walking in fellowship with Him in light and in love. That's the promise. And it gets more wonderful and more wonderful and more wonderful. Now, when you get to, through the end of that and you get to 2 John, God says, now listen, in, in order for that to be the way your life is, in order to walk in light and in love, you're going to have to be able to recognize people that are trying to tell you something that isn't helpful, perhaps even lying to you. And that's what we saw in 2 John. In 2 John, God promises us that we will be able to discern truth, be able to recognize when the Word of God is being preached to us or when someone is simply seeking to make a point that they want to make. Many of us, many, many of us, probably all of us, have been present when someone has said something like, if you'll open your Bible to such and such, I just need a couple of words as a jumping-off point. That should make you nervous. If the preacher just needs a couple of words for a jumping-off point, that should make you really nervous. Because we don't want the thoughts of the preacher. We don't want the opinions of the preacher. The Word of God is quick and powerful. Preaching and teaching is only as powerful as it includes the Word of God, if you understand what I'm saying. So the reason I say this is because in 2 John, God zooms in on the life, the promise of a life or fellowship with God in light and in love by saying, this being true, you're going to be, need to be able to recognize when somebody's not saying what you need. 
And then in 3 John, which is where we're going right now, he's going to say, and this being true, you're going to understand the difference between having somebody into your house or helping them along the way that's really involved in the gospel and not just any religious person. In our, in our house uh, fr- Friday night, uh, we have not had any real fellowship with our family. We've not had, our family has not come to our house since we began um, not getting together because of the quarantine. But in the last couple of weeks, we have spent time with our family in such a way that we, we've actually made some contact, literally contact, with our grandchildren. And we come to the realization that we don't believe anybody in our family right now has been exposed to the virus and that nobody in our family is sick of that virus right now. So in other words, we could be around each other. And so Friday night, we were around each other. So we had dinner at our house. My wife made a wonderful dinner. And uh, we celebrated Andrew's birthday. Andrew just turned 26 years old. And so Andrew and Kayla and Hazel came over and, and, and Matt and Amanda came over and brought Charlotte and Portia and we were all together and we had a good time together. Well, during that time, um, I don't even know how it came up. My son Andrew made reference to a televangelist who was conquering coronavirus in a tremendously absurd theatrical way. And it had become almost a meme, I guess. And so he was blowing on the coronavirus in the name of Jesus. Just really bizarre. And so he was showing it to my daughter, Rebecca. And Rebecca said, this is not only creepy, I might not even be able to sleep tonight because of the expression on this man's face. And the reason that I bring that up is because everything on the internet that talks about Jesus is not the same. Right? You all understand that. Every book that talks about Jesus is not the same. It matters. It, it matters. We support missionaries. We support those that are on their way serving the Lord Jesus. And we should. We should give of our finances. When they're here, you should take them to dinner, have them to your house. You, you should want to interact with godly men and women who are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And, as we're going to see in 3 John, you should be careful that you don't consider your part of the ministry too important to interrupt by having them around. Uh, One of the things that uh, probably all of us have been exposed to is a ministry that was so important, either the church itself was too important to have anybody else in except for a couple select people, or somebody whose ministry was so important that nobody should be involved in it except for them because it was their ministry. Anybody has that attitude, it's, it's a dangerous attitude. It's a, it's a really dangerous thing to think. It's good to be involved in the ministry that God has called you to. It's really dangerous to think that it's yours. It's his, and he's using you. But he can use others in that same ministry, and it's important that we recognize that. Now, I want you to see this. Again, we're not going to spend a great deal of time uh, in 3 John today. You did see, you heard it already. John read through it, and you recognize in it that what's happening is uh, the Holy Spirit is speaking through John to Gaius, And what he's saying to him is this, I'm glad you're doing well. Now, we have a sense that Gaius is a man of some means because he seems to not only help a little bit, he seems to help missionaries a lot, like he's really actually taking care of them when they're in the area. By contrast, Diotrephes, who appears to be in some position of authority, maybe even the senior pastor of the church, not only won't have them in, but the people that are willing to... uh, Uh, listen to them, have them over and let the missionaries speak, they're in danger of being thrown out of the church, right? We we read, he read that. Really tragic. You look at that and you say, this is is terrible. But why? Because diatrophies love it to have the preeminence. 
Anybody, listen, anybody that says, come to the ministry I'm involved in, it should make you nervous. It should just make you nervous. Anybody who can't be, anybody that goes to a local church, but their ministry is the part that matters to them, and they can't be involved in the rest of the things that people are doing, that'll make you really, really nervous. It makes me nervous. It should make you nervous. You say, so what does 1 John have to do with this? And the interesting thing is I think we can just read and you can see the context of 1 John. I know I made reference to this in 2 John when he's speaking to the elect lady. I made reference to the fact that it would appear that what, that what John is saying to the elect lady in what he does talk about and the spirit in which he says it and the words that he uses that seem to be important, you can see that what he really says, there's a lot more to this. There's a lot more but I think I'm going to come. I trust God that I'm going to be able to come and actually be in your presence and we'll be able to go over this face-to-face. And face-to-face is better than a letter. Face-to-face is better than Zoom. And face-to-face is good. Being able to have a dialogue and talk. And they were going to be able to go over these things together. John and the elect lady were going to be able to talk about these things together and rejoice together in these things. Now, the same thing is true you're going to find in 3 John. The same thing is true of Gaius. He's going to say at the end of the letter, look, a lot to say. Don't think I need to write it. Believe when I come, we'll be able to talk about it face to face. But I believe his heartbeat in both of these letters is very much the same things that are already revealed in 1 John. And so I want you to see these again. So as we're studying 3 John, I want at least the quote unquote beginning. And I'm going to stop here and take a drink. I don't know why. But often in preaching and teaching, the first few verses of anything that we read, especially in the epistles, is often treated in the same way that when we write letters to people, we start with, dear so-and-so, comma, right? I don't know. I don't know if that's still the convention or not. A lot of people just don't even write letters anymore. But we still have some kind of a greeting at the beginning. And then often... Even if you have something important that you have to say. So let's say what I want to say to Brother Ray. Ray's sitting up here. Ray and Daisy are sitting up here. But I want to say to Brother Ray, Brother Ray, I really need to borrow your chainsaw. Right? That's what I really need to do. Well, you can't just write a letter and say, Ray, I need your chainsaw. Chuck. You've got you to write a letter and say, Ray, I hope you and Daisy are doing well. I hope things are good at your house. We have all these wonderful, pleasant things that we say to each other. And then somewhere we get to the point, oh, and by the way, if it's okay, could I bore your chainsaw sometime? Let me know, Chuck, right? Or sincerely even, sincerely, right? Even though that's kind of ironic because I just kind of made it, made it clear that I really wasn't that sincere. I just said all those nice things so I could bore his chainsaw. I'm not accusing everybody of doing that all the time, but we have learned social etiquette demands pleasantries at the beginning of our letters, right? Yes, everybody understands that? Well, I think we read our Bible as if the epistles have pleasantries at the beginning that aren't really part, they're not the meat of the letter. That's not true. The beginning of the epistles are the meat of the letter. All of it is the Word of God. Every bit of it. And I say that because when I start reading what I'm going to read here in just a moment, many of you will not start paying attention until I start getting to doctrinal points in a very real sense. In other words, you'll look over the pleasantries at the beginning and not recognize that the hope, again, this really very much goes to what Laura was singing. In a little while, we're going to be with our Lord Jesus. There'll be no sin and everything will be wonderful. But once we begin to really enter into that, we're no longer 
pleasant to each other for the sake of being pleasant to each other, we begin to have such a heart for each other that when we write pleasantries at the beginning of something, we mean those pleasantries. I do hope it's good at your house. I do really desire that you're doing well as a family. I'm not saying that because I should say that. I mean that. Do you understand the difference? And so that's what we're finding. And so let's look at that together. Now, you'll also find as we begin to read 1 John that 1 John can go all the way back to John. If you go back to John chapter 1, just go back to John, not now, we don't have time to go back there, but go back to John chapter 1 and just notice how much about the eternal nature of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, how much that's here. And now let's read. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we've seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard Declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Father, help us as we look into thy word this morning. Cause us to realize and understand the significance. And we're going to see it in 3 John. Well, it is so important that our fellowship isn't our clique or our group or our kind, if you will, but that it's with the Father and with the Son. We cannot truly have fellowship one with another, not loving, caring, selfless fellowship outside of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's just religion. And it's just choosing, quote-unquote, our religion and getting along with those that are of our, quote-unquote, religion. And it's not the same thing as all at all as loving one another. Deliver us, please, Father, from religious activity and cause us to understand what we really have in churches, what we really have in fellowship one with another, even church to church, local church to local church, how significant and important it is that those that know and love the Lord Jesus Christ have real fellowship with each other and can labor together. And we see that right here in this epistle. Bless us, Father, as we look at this, and then as we continue our study in 3 John. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen. So you, it's, I think it's pretty clear here. The eternal things, the eternal things have been made known unto us because the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what John is saying. Notice he doesn't say I, he says we, we, right? He includes Peter, he includes Paul, he includes all of the apostles, but not just the apostles, he includes all of those that love, know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we have fellowship together. And what he's saying is this, we want to make sure that you have fellowship with us the same way. He wants to make sure that the people that are receiving this epistle recognize that fellowship in denominational circle, if you will. In other words, 
people who line up with us, that's not the point. It's do you know the Lord Jesus? Do you love him? Do you have fellowship with him? Good. I do too. Let's have fellowship together in him. Do you understand? Not do you agree with this version and this version and this version of how I look at things and this version. Oh, good. Then we can have some getting together because we agree on just enough things to get together. That's not the point. The point is, do you know the one that's lived for eternity that came into time to show us all who we are, who he is, and to rescue us? Do you know him? Is he precious to you? Great. Let's have fellowship. Now let's look at what that says. So he says, that's what we have. And then verse 4 says, and, we write, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. In other words, you can tell that John is really not just writing this pleasantly, that he's wonderfully overwhelmed with the reality of what he has seen and heard. Getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ has changed him completely. And he's so overwhelmed by that, what he wants is for others to have the same joy that he has. Not the same belief system, the same joy. That they would know the forgiveness of sins, that they would understand being a new creature, and that they would rejoice just like he is. That's what he's saying. This then is the message which we have heard of him. This is what he said. And declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I believe this is a very significant phrase. Where it's said, I believe, is very significant because what you recognize is this. Those that are walking together in the light with the Lord Jesus Christ do not claim, and it's going to come up very, very much in the next couple of verses, do not claim to be sinless, do not claim to in themselves be perfect, but they do claim that he is. Right? In him is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Everything he does is good and wonderful, worthy of admiration, and he's able to change us also. And all we have to do is recognize, I'm a new creature. I don't have my own righteousness anymore. I have his righteousness. And that righteousness continues to be imputed to our account. And not only do we grow, but we know continually that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All falling short is taken care of in the blood of Christ. When you are saved, you are so glad to have all of your sins forgiven. And you might have thought, oh, I'm going to do far better going forward. Now, however long you've been saved, there have been changes in your life, but if you know you, that you know that in you that is in your flesh, there still dwelleth no good thing. And here's the good news. God just puts you to death. I can't fix you, can't make you right, so I made you a new creature. And everything that happens, the blood still takes care of. And so it's so wonderful to see this. If we say that we have no sin, in other words, if we say, no, 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 I'm born again. I'm a new creature. I have no sin anymore. Um, nope. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, I want you to recognize, this is important that you recognize, this phrase, the truth is not in us, the only people that have the truth in them are people that are new creatures. So this is not saying if you're unsaved, you can get saved. It's saying, no, no, even we 
who are new creatures recognize that there is still sin in my members. In me, that is in my flesh, there's still the desire for the wrong things. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And again, his word is not in us. My little children. Now, I, I, I almost wanted to read to this point just for that phrase. My little children. And the reason that I make reference to that is because in 3 John, he makes reference to having such joy that his, it's verse 4. Go to 3 John verse 4. Again, it's only a couple pages. We'll move back. 3 John verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Back in 2 John, he had no greater joy than to hear that the elect sisters, some of, some of her children, were walking in truth. Right? That's what it said. If you go back there, I don't know. Um, verse 4. Uh, yeah, verse 4 also. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. And isn't that wonderful that some of her children are walking in truth. And he has no greater joy than that his children are walking in truth. Now, it is possible that her children are actually her children in the same way that Andrew, Amanda, uh, Chris, and Rebecca are my children. But in the passage that he's making reference to in, in 3 John, he's not speaking about his own children. He's talking about those that he's had a part in their lives, preaching and teaching and having an, a, a, an impact upon them. And it's, he's glad when the people that he's had an opportunity to preach and to teach and to help to see them walk in the truth. Uh, Travis, it was, again, Travis and I had this conversation, and it was encouraging to me because he wanted to talk about some things and he wanted to come talk to me about them. And I could tell that what he was, well, he said it, that he was in a place now where he'd like to go back and hear some of the things that he'd heard when he was sitting here that he didn't hear when he was sitting here, if you understand what I'm saying. I, I, I remember um, um, Sharon James uh, coming to see me one Sunday morning after the morning message, just so happy, joyful, in tears. And she said, on the way to church this morning, I was complaining to Jeremy about the fact that you had been, I think we might have been, by the way, in Hebrews, about the fact that you'd been preaching the same message over and over and over again for about a month. And really what she was making reference to is I kept going back to the same passage. Even though we were going forward, I kept going back to the same passage because I felt it was foundational. And she, kept, and, she said, and she said, why doesn't he just go forward? Why does he have to keep going back and looking at the same thing over and over again? And she said, and you did it again this morning. And she said, and for the first time ever, I saw what it was that God wanted me to see in that passage. And, and you know, we were talking about this in uh, our Thursday night men's meeting. There's only so many things that uh, Proverbs talks about. Only so many things Proverbs talks about. But it sure says it a lot, in a lot of different ways. A lot of different ways. He talks about our mouth. He talks about our heart. He talks about our attitude. He talks about just a handful of things over and over and over again. And we were talking about, somebody brought it up. I don't remember who it was. It might, I don't think it was Dr. Lucy. Uh, somebody brought it up and said, uh, maybe it was Josiah. Anyway, he's here right now, so he can tell me if it wasn't him. He might remember who it was. But basically what they said is the reason that God tells us the same thing over and over again so many ways is because we're stupid. And I think they actually worded it like that. And I thought, amen, amen, that's exactly right. Why does God tell us the same thing over and over and over again? The answer is because we're not very smart. But it isn't just that. It's because he loves us. And he literally is saying, you know, let me use a flower to help you understand this. Let me use fish 
to help you understand this. Let me use all kinds of things to help you understand this. Let me make reference to all these things. Do you realize that all of creation was given to teach us how great God is and how much he loves us? Everything. If you understood everything the way it actually is, you'd say, there's a lesson in this. There's a lesson in this. And this right here, and this thing that God has created, there's a lesson in this that shows me how great the Lord Jesus Christ is. Back to 1 John. My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, he have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is a really important verse for all Baptists to understand. God has not chosen out just a couple of people that he loves. Christ's blood paid for the sins of the whole world. You see it right here, right? He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of what? The whole world. Christ died for everybody. Therefore, you can freely say to everybody, Christ died for you. He shed his blood for you. Don't meet God and pay for your own sins. You can't afford this. Let Christ have your sins that he might pay for them for you. Hereby we know that we know him to keep his commandments. And we've seen over and over and over and over and over again that keeping his commandments has the... Well, let's just read it. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected or matured. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. Now, it's really simple. And what he's saying is this. It is simple. It's so simple. I don't know that I'm going to go any further than this this morning, actually. It's so simple. When I was a baby Christian, Christianity was so easy. It was so easy. I was forgiven, and I was happy. And I want everybody to know. I wasn't upset at anybody. You, you almost couldn't upset me because I was so glad. I was so happy to be forgiven. If you didn't like me, it's okay. I wouldn't like me either. You understand? Didn't, didn't get my feelings hurt. You know, didn't get offended. My, my wife remembers me before I was saved. My wife remembers me after I was saved. My, mom, my wife remembers that I had friends before I was saved who didn't want to be my friends anymore after I was saved. I didn't feel like they were weird. I was the weirdo, right? I mean, we, we were fine when I was in the world, but when I got saved and wasn't in the world anymore, they still were. They didn't understand what had happened in my life. You sure sound like a crazy man when you start talking about how great Jesus is, how powerful he is, how he can separate you from all your desires before, how he doesn't just forgive you of your sins. He gives you a whole new... Sounds like crazy talk. It really does. And you know it does because your extended family members, some of your neighbors, some of your loved ones still say you sound like a crazy person. And that's fine. But let's not be jerks. Do you understand? Let's love them. Let's be at peace with God, as you were talking about. And I love the fact that, and that's not just in the Old Testament, by the way, the completeness. You know, it says, therefore, being, therefore, by, you know, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And what that means is I'm complete. It's okay. I'm complete. If, you're, if, 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 if the blood is on your account, you're complete. You say, I don't, I don't feel complete. That's a, that's a you problem. That's a me problem. You are complete. You are complete in him. Everything you ever need, Christ is. Everything you'll ever need, Christ is. Not will give you, he is. Everything, everything. And there's such peace in that. 
And because there's such peace in that, we can have fellowship with him. And beca- Now, here's the thing. This is what r- real fellowship, I'm going to move, James, just so you know. Um, and it's funny because there's not enough people that I can actually walk towards you know, people. And look at this. We have these stairs to use. Isn't that nice, right? We have these little stairs to use. I still lose sight of the peace that's in Christ because of the pressures of the activities of our church. You understand? You understand? You had to sing this morning. Right? You understand? You had to play the piano this morning. Because of the activities of the church, I've said many times, I, I, I would almost like our church to have two or three other um, full-time pastors so that I could literally just talk to people before the, well, the service, before the service is over, and then somebody would tap me on the shoulder and say, Pastor, you, you have to go up in the pulpit now to preach. But I, but, I, but I have a hard time with it because in my mind, I'm going over the things that I'm going to preach while I'm talking to you and making sure, you know, are we ready for this part of the service? Are we ready for that part of the service? Do you understand what I'm saying? I guess what I'm saying is this. It is easy for us to miss out on just walking with Jesus and loving him and loving each other because of the pressures of everyday life. But the whole promise is you have a great high priest who's pouring out a whole new quality of life. He ever liveth to make intercession for you. You're complete. Everything's fine. Stop worrying about these things. Rest in his love. Love each other. Don't compare yourself. Don't measure yourself. Don't think yourself better. Don't think anything like that. He's wonderful. He loves you. He loves you. He loves me. He loves you. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. We can love each other. He loves us completely and freely. We can love each other completely and freely. You fall short. I fall short. I promise I won't pick on you if you don't pick on me about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's really how peaceful this is. This is the whole point. The blood of Jesus Christ's son cleanses me of all my sin. And guess what? He cleanses you of all your sin. Yes? So we just walk with him. You walk with him, I'll walk with him. You say, let's walk with him perfectly. Yeah, I'd like to do that too. And guess what? There's coming a day when we will. Right? We'll leave here, praise God, and in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, everything will change. And there'll be no more sin ever again. I'll never be a goofball ever again. I'll never hurt anybody ever again. And won't that be wonderful when? It's not true now, though. It's not where we live right now. But I'm still complete in him, and so are you. And because of that, I have tremendous peace at times when I just simply enter into that and rejoice at it. But God wants us to grow in that understanding. That's the fellowship he wants us to have. He, what, 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 what John is saying is we have fellowship with God in how wonderful he is, and we want your joy to be full because we want you to have that same thing. Now, again, when we get into 3 John, what you'll realize is all of 1 John carries into 3 John. You're going to see at the very beginning he's going to write and he's going to say to Gaius, Gaius, you really are. I mean, he's not puffing him up. He's not boasting or bragging about him. God has done a wonderful work in your life, guys. And I hope that you're just as healthy and as wealthy as you are in your soul because it's really clear that you're a new creature. And you are obviously helping and taking care of a great number of missionaries as they're going through. It would appear that Gaius is literally pouring out his entire household to the people that are going around preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's complete. Even if he's not going around, I don't know, he might have a regular job where he goes to work every day, but he's devoted to the gospel going all over the world, even when his pastor, it would appear, isn't devoted to that same thing. Isn't it wonderful that you can have peace no matter what the circumstances and just walk with God. That's what God, that's, that's what God is talking to us about right here. Here's the, here's the thing um, we were talking about this morning. 
we have the desire to get back to normal. In other words, we just want to assemble together. That's what I mean when I say that. We can't wait to get back to normal, to have Sunday school and children's church, nurseries, the Wednesday night ministries, to feed the kids that are coming in, to go down and do CEF, to go to the nursing home. We can't wait to get back to normal. But I got a feeling that what God's doing in our lives right now is causing us to understand, no, 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 let's go back to better than normal. In other words, let's go back to assembling like we were before, but let's do it better than we were doing it before. Anybody else feel that way? I feel that way very strongly. I believe that, ironically, the 2020 vision that God gave me could not take place without what we're going through right now. Because right now what we're realizing is this. Oh, I've been wasting time. I've been wasting. Some of us had a lot of free time. I don't feel like I've had a lot of free time. I've had a lot more time to study, though, than I used to, because I, I can't go to the nursing home. I can't go to the uh, hospital. I can't even go to somebody's house and, and visit with them right now. So I've had a lot more time to study. We have a lot of time that we're putting into things that we don't normally have to put them into in order to do the videos and stuff like that that we're doing. But what I'm realizing is this. This has helped me to understand. This has helped me to understand you're dead. Really, that's what's really... I think the thing that God is showing me more than ever before in my life is Chuck, you're dead. I, I just can't fix you. And it's, I can't tell you how happy I am to be dead. You're so, you're dead. And you know what? When you're dead, you don't have to try anymore, right? It's funny because Bobby McKinney sings a song that I really enjoy. It's really a blessing to me. And the song is, when we finally fail in trying, we will find success in dying. And it is so wonderful to understand that God so loves you that he completely took care of every one of your needs. And one of your needs was to be, to be set free from you. You understand? And so he said, here's what I'm going to do. Josiah, you're not fixable. So I'm just, you know, I mean, some of us have done this, right? I, this is a little sensor. It senses the, the temperature in, in, the, in the room. So if this sensor was broken, right, what we would do is we would do what with it? We would throw it away and get a new one. And that's what God has said. I've put you to death, and I made you a new creature. Isn't that wonderful? You say, you mean I'm never going to have success in myself? No. No, you're never going to have success in yourself. But you have Christ's success. Unless you want your own righteousness. Do you want your own righteousness? I'm so thankful to not have my own righteousness. But isn't it wonderful to not have to try to earn it anymore? And this is why we shouldn't compare ourselves with each other or measure ourselves against each other or look down at each other because everybody around you is just like you. Right? Imperfect. Worse than imperfect. How is it? Uh, only evil continually. It's a pretty desperate statement. That, well, that's all of us. But not in Christ, praise God. I hope that's an encouragement to you. I hope you'll recognize as we see this, the whole point of this is to have fellowship with the eternal God that has come and, is, and, and has come to us to save us from us, that we can have a relationship with him. Let's just enter into that together. And again, as we are going to now, you know, you can turn your pages if you want to. As we begin going into, I think probably the next time we'll spend some time actually in 3 John, looking at some of these things. Recognize in, in, your, in 3 John Begin now to say what you're seeing in 3 John. Lord, is there anything that I'm falling short of? In other words, there's something that you'd have me to enter into that I'm not entering into. Is there selfishness in my heart and life about ministry? Is, in other words, do I want to have the preeminence in anything? And when you're honest about that, God will set you free from that. Because that's what he wants to do, is to set us free from that. He wants us to be able to be like Gaius. He wants us to just give 
of whatever it is that God puts into our hands so that the gospel can go forward. So we can be involved in that and recognize, oh no, we're all going home pretty soon. Let's rescue everyone we can while we have time to do that. Let's be about that. Let's be about telling people how great Jesus is. Again, they're going to receive him or reject him. That's between them and God. But let's tell them. Let's tell them. And let's not get worried about our own little sissy feelings along the way. Let's together, labor together, to tell other people how great Jesus is. And let's recognize that those of us that are doing it together here at Tidewater, none of us are anything, and Jesus is everything. Father, thank you for your word. And I thank you for just how free, how peaceful it is to recognize that we are nothing in ourselves, but that Christ is everything. And Lord, that we can truly, truly enter into the fact that you want to uh, make use of the vessel and that you want to uh, show your love and your goodness to other people. Lord, I'm watching you. I think many of us are. I'm watching you touch many lives. Even though I can't be around people in the same way, Lord, what people are texting me, what people are writing, calling, what people are uh, saying, Lord, through uh, different uh, text circles, all of these are making it clear that you're showing us more of your goodness and greatness. Lord, I pray that you continue to bless. I pray you continue to help us and encourage us. Cause us to behold the Lord Jesus as he is, to worship him and adore him, and to be free because of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.